You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Emma Hurd, your host for today's show. Hope everyone out there listening is having a lovely morning. Uh, this morning driving in was really nice to have the sun coming up. You know, now that it's daylight savings time, it's nice to drive in when the sun's up. So that was a lovely experience for me and I hope so for all, for our guests here today. So today we've got the wonderful Emmeline Bowman oh. in. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Em. And we've got Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and we've got Chloe Foster in the studio this morning. Welcome oh, in. Muggy morning. <laughs> yeah, it is muggy. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit muggy. Uh, finally feeling a bit of a spring-summer vibe, do you think? Like I, had, I honestly was <clears throat> walking up to the studio this morning and I could felt like I could finally smell summer. Just yeah. had, there, was a, there was a scent in the air. I heard the cicadas too. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was like the first time. Like, oh, my God, so what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and we're only a week away to summer. <laughs> it's been such an odd season. Yeah. Jeremy, we were just talking about this before we went on air, how odd a spring it's been for you up at Cloud Hill as well. Oh, yes. And, uh, well, in my case, I've... Um, walked out of the house and I thought, no, I need a jumper, walk back in again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're near me. I'm in Alinda, so um, it's it's definitely been colder than usual for this time of year. Yes, it's a fairly steady season and um, mm. lots of rain. Yep. Yeah, I think things are a little bit slower. Very much so. I'd, yeah. I'd say running about two to three weeks behind yeah. uh, where we normally expect to be. Yeah, I've had, like, in clients' gardens that I'm working on, um, you know, irises flowering at a normal time and then irises not even in in bud yet at my place. Mm -hmm. Yes, and um, trees taking a long time to come into leaf and... and which is a slightly nerve-wracking thing, actually. In fact, we've got a few of our beaches which were very... They came into leaf very, very slowly mm. and... Um, and the, the beaches actually have edible leaves, which the rosellas have discovered. Yes, and they do <laughs> love to macerate them. Yeah, so one or two of the beaches have been, um, well, somewhat defoliated by the rosellas helping themselves. And they're, they're about 100 year, years old, those yeah, trees. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's one or two pretty significant trees in amongst them, so it's slightly mm. disconcerting. But they, they'll come good during the season Mm. We've seen it before. <laughs> yeah, I've found a couple of deciduous trees come into leaf, and these are these are freshly planted, so they're a little bit out of sync with the seasons. But they've come into leaf, and then they've defoliated very quickly, and now they're just budding up again, mm. because something's like the season is just 
so up and down like a roller coaster that we had a cold snap and they said there would nearly be snow in our area. <laughs> <laughs> there was at Mount Gomer Bruin, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Recently? Yeah, there was. Not yeah. not at Alinda, so that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quite happy about that, actually. <laughs> not not looking for snow this time of year. <laughs> no, no, that's for sure. Yeah, so and, and it's affecting all of Australia, all, all of a sudden mm. half of Australia. I've, I've uh, just come back from two weeks holiday in Western Australia and uh, I've, I've um, seen two or three parts of the southwest which I've not visited since, well, <laughs> hardly dare say. Mm. But uh, we spent a few days at Esperance, which I last saw in 1970. Uh, oh, I imagine a lot's some, changed. Yes, collecting some farm machinery at the time. Uh, we were, because we were farming north of Perth at the time. And uh, so Esperance to where we were was a full day's travel. Esperance is really, really interesting, but it's amazing at the moment. It's as wet as I have ever seen. It's on the, if you look at the map, it's uh, it's in the extreme southeast corner of the West Australian Wheat Belt. Mm. So it's uh, you go a little bit further east and you hit the Nullarbor Plain. Um, but it's a it's a little stretch of coast which collects rainfall as at the end of each cold front, and um, it's. Um, Oh, it's a fairly amazing area. It's, it's just as spectacular as the Great Ocean Road in many ways because mm. the landscape is made up of dirty great granite rocks, which are huge, um, and they run out into the water. So you have you stand on the beach and look out and you see these rocky islands stretching out towards the horizon and rising up. Well, the highest of them is about 240 metres mm-hmm. out of the water. So it's a, it's a very spectacular view, and of course the coast is broken up by headland headlands made of these rocks as well, with white sandy beaches in between. Any and interesting the, plants amongst ah, the rocks? Ah, fascinating! Just well, fascinating. Everything yeah. about Esperance is fascinating, <laughs> and the the uh, and it's uh, it's one of those areas where the, where the rainfall drops very quickly as you move inland, and um, so the the. Um, the Right at the moment, along the coast, every single depression is full of water, which I have never seen in my life before. Mm. Um, yeah, and the streams the, yeah, from the, Western the, And streams mm. pouring down the edges of roads everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, but um, go 10, 15 k's inland and um, you'd be hitting wheat-growing areas with the, the best wheat crops they have seen in 30, 40 years. Mm. Um, it drops away, and it's, so it suits the uh, dryland farmers very nicely. What's the soil like in WA in those areas? Um, do, do they suffer from any kind of erosion when they have big rain events like this? Um, well, or, it, you know, it's a fairly level wet. landscape, so it's not so much. Uh, that's the erosion in that way. It's not so much of it. Yes. The, the, the big problem with erosion is wind erosion when it's dry. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's been, been big changes to agriculture to try and reduce that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a, a very you look at the soil and it looks like sand, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's an impermeable layer just below the surface, generally about half a meter down, and where it's within about well. 50, 60 centimetres of the surface, you, you, you can grow good wheat crops. The, it traps the nutrients and the moisture. Where it's deeper, uh, that's Banksia country. 
and the Banksias, uh, so as soon as the sands meet a deep, uh, Banksias take over. So you've got a kind of a, a mosaic landscape. Um, it's also interesting because it's uh, Esperance is um, one of the French expeditions um, mapping the Australian coast back in 1802 landed at Esperance and accidentally left one of a botanist on shore for several days and um, so he was desperately trying to get back to his ship and the whole time he was surrounded by the local people who were flat out mosaic burning. Mm. So it's one of the best uh, examples, the best incidents of of, uh, of an eyewitness account of traditional burning in, in Australian history, actually. Mm. Is there a book about that? Um, well, it's only just been realised. Uh, okay. Of course, they, this was during the Napoleonic Wars. Mm. Um, Esperance is actually named after one of the ships that was involved in that expedition, Lesperance. And uh, the other one was the the uh, research. And um, anyway, they went back to France with their journals, which got tucked into some library in Paris somewhere. And they, they were they were only translated into English about um, ten years ago. And there was this account by this botanist of uh, what it was like to be running around trying to get back to his ship. <laughs> mm. Well, it's nice to get new historical information, mm. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's wonderful when something else gets discovered, and especially significant in that way. Yeah. Know, of, uh, oh, it's amazing. Evidence. And it happened right right next to the township. Mm. Yeah, there was a, a – Cook has a similar – story uh, at Cooktown in Queensland, but uh, happening uh, a few years earlier. So, interesting part of the world. Do you know the name of the French botanist? Um, Something, I'll mispronounce his name. (laughs) (laughs) Begins with a B. Oh, B, because the Dampier was a French botanist. There's the Dampier Peninsula. Yeah. Dampier, Dampier was actually English. Oh, was he? Well, there we go. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, Dampier was amazing. He was a pirate. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, he, he was, now I'm trying to think of the years, but he was earlier. But he was actually exploring the northern coast of Western Australia rather yeah. than the southern coast. Yeah, because that's where the peninsula is. It is yeah. up on the northern part of WA. Yep. No, yeah. he, he, uh, he was the first Englishman to circumnavigate the world. Um, and um, I can figure out the years. So he was he arrived back in England in about sixteen eighty, I think, because he met Pepys, or rather, Pepys went and met him. <laughs> so the diarist, uh, the you know, Samuel Pepys, actually met William Dampier because he was a bit of a uh, well, he was he was someone that everyone wanted to beat because he'd been around the world. Mm. No one else had. Yes, interesting tales to tell. Yep. Yeah, but so but Dampier had very rude things to say about uh, the the uh, northern coast of Western Australia, mm-hmm. but of course it's pretty arid, so it, it doesn't look terribly exciting. Esperance is much more interesting. Mm. Yeah. But uh, it's still the flora and the ecosystem up there is so unique; it would yep. have looked completely foreign to him. Oh, absolutely! Mm, yeah. I might say that um, Esperance right now the, uh, the the wildflowers are just superb. Have they had a late wildflower season? Yeah, because yeah it's, uh, look in the uh, if you're visiting Western Australia, the wildflower season in the northern wheat belt is in August September. Yeah. 
but uh, by the time you get to Esperance, it's uh, end of November. Oh. Yeah, there's been a change would, in the climate. Would you say that it's elongated even further? Um, well, at the moment, it's uh, the weather's just chaotic. Yeah. And, and so everything's running behind. So I'm just not too sure. Maybe if, uh, in a conventional season, if we ever have one again, um, um, the beginning of November might be the best time to visit the mm. south coast of Western Australia. Mm. <laughs> have either Chloe or you um, been to Western Australia? I have. My mm. family are from Western Australia, but mm. I haven't been lucky to go about now. I've yeah. been trying to for years, so um, yeah, just haven't had time. But yeah. um, they live down near Dunsborough. Okay. Yeah, and it's really, really beautiful. I usually go into one of the little forests there and they have these beautiful pools of water where you can actually find a lot of these endemic fish species in there. So oh. I really love it there. What, yeah. sort of fishy, what sort of fishies are they? I think they're a type of gudgeon and then they've got these, they're called sooty grunters. And it's mm. weird, there's these these pools and it looks like, honestly, you go through and it looks like someone's dug this hole and you'd be in the middle of a forest and the water is crystal clear and like a bluish color to it and full of aquatic species like shrimp these grunters um little um, freshwater clams uh, so many little things and i'm just like it's something that is really remarkable because mm. you don't really see it here in victoria anymore how, no. how big are these little pools there some of them range from about Four metres, so I say that's little, but four yeah. metres is quite small for a body of water that's in the middle of nowhere and it's crystal clear. Um, and then I saw one up to about 12 metres. And are they quite deep? Yeah, they're like probably about 1.2 to 1.5 metres deep, which is quite deep considering, mm. again, just the pool. Mm. <laughs> and um, yeah, and a really diverse range of life. And it's obviously they're tucked in um, into a spring or something because mm. these, these species mm. are living there for, and they yeah. can't move, and I, unless yeah, I mean, I they're don't quite know. isolated. If there wasn't some yeah. sort of like underground corridor yeah. or something it's, to yeah, yeah which but, makes them really special. And I'm always been I marked it on my map. So mm. where are they? Em? It's it's in a little reserve that's just part um, past yelling up in the little state forest through there. And I should get out my phone and find it, but I'm not going to. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's marked on my map and. Yeah. Um, there's a crew that I used to always go to. I don't really have time to go every Friday anymore, but it's ANCFA, the Australian Native New Guinea Fish Association. And I've been wanting to tell Greg Martin the most because he's just like, we usually go to the Tarkine in Tassie and do like fish surveys and things like that. But mm -hmm. this one, I'm like, we need to go see what this pool is mm -hmm. and these pools and see what these species are because they could be very unique species yeah. that are untouched. And, you know, they're the pools that you sort of find things that might have never been discovered before or a very isolated group that's mm. become very endangered. Mm. So, yeah, this little pool. Oh, my God, God. But, yeah. Oh, I feel a 3CR expedition yeah. coming on. <laughs> yeah. Greg. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell him anyway. He'd be getting so excited, very enthusiastic. <laughs> He's great. Actually, yeah. you might know something which I've been trying to figure out. We, we stayed a couple of nights at Nanup. Mm. And uh, there was a little um, uh, um, park, uh, well, reserve there, uh, uh, five minutes out of town. Mm -hmm. And we we're exploring, uh, um, well, Jerry and Marif, uh, Mary uh, Forest, Jarra and yeah. Mary Forest. Yeah. And, um, uh, and again, a stream with one or two river pools. Mm -hmm. um, 
and noticed a family of blue wrens, except these were the red-winged blue wrens. <gasps> now, I'm, I know there's one very rare species in those forests, but I haven't had time to check to see whether we this was a very rare one or this was a, like this, this so common. Grub emu wren, that one. No, no, it was it was it, it was partially blue, but the with red wings. Oh, I don't know. Uh, with or chet, chestnut uh, coloured wings. No. Sounds like a Melbourne supporter. Yeah, of course. Here we go. <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with this species. Oh, of right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I know the... there's a very rare one in in that yeah. part of the world. Oh, yeah. I don't know. We'll get... We have a yeah. bird ID okay. app. Google. Yeah, a couple, couple of hundred species. There we go, red yep. winged fairy yep, wren. That's it. There yep. we go. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, so endemic just... to the southwestern corner of Western Australia. There you go. Yep. But the extreme thing. southwest corner. Need to bring mm. it over to Melbourne, yeah. I reckon. Mm. And did you see some, Jen? No, it was just one family of them, but one male. And um, but there's. Uh, uh, where where we were f- we were farming north of Perth, we we had two species: the splendid wren, which is entirely mm. blue, and the white wing blue wren. Mm. And there, uh, there's wrens just about everywhere. But uh, this forest wren, the red winged uh, uh, wren, uh, I had a suspicion it was quite unusual. And what sort of vegetation? Obviously, like um, mid Well, this is in shrubbery. low forest country, yeah. so trees getting up about ten meters high. Beautiful. Well, regrowth trees, maybe they'll get a bit higher given <laughs> another 50 years uh, left to themselves. We can hope. <laughs> yep. There is something so special about those fairy wrens. Mm. I love seeing the, the ones that we have over here on the East Coast, but there's quite a diversity in WA. Yeah. Because is it – I can. I always get mixed up. Is it the splendid fairy wren that's in – the or the <laughs> yeah, you're superb. quite right. There's the superb red and the splendid red, mm. and which which one, one has is more which? Blue and the blue fancy yeah. one is over in WA. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the very blue one is the West Australia one. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did have the pleasure of going to the southwest of WA in September, mm-hmm. but I was 16 and had no idea. Oh. <laughs> I hate that with traveling. Oh. I think that when I'm a young kid, like oh, yeah. honestly. <laughs> We, I hugged uh, the giant, one of the giant oh, tingle the, trees. And I've got a good oh, photo of that. Yeah. When you before they put the boardwalks around, so yeah. I could climb oh, all over. Yeah. Cool. And all I can remember are the Darn Patterson's curse and oh, canola paddocks. Yeah, and the canna lilies weedy along the side. Oh of yeah, the canna is a big uh, uh, oh, calla lily. Yeah, yeah, calla, yeah, calla lilies. Yeah, 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 big problem. Mm. Yeah, are they trying to combat that? They're well, I expect they are, <laughs> but uh, it's 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 pretty bad. It seems like um, West Australia are very advanced. Like compared to other states, they seem to be trying to manage a bit more. Though I know when the phytophthora was going through, I know the stations had lapsed. Like they used to have phytophthora um, stations to stop it, but that's sort of lapsed. Yeah, look, I'll tell you one thing which really amazed me too, because it's quite a few years since I last saw that part of the world, and so we're partly Esperance, but also the extreme southwest and um, yelling up in the Margaret River area, um, is, is the... Um, um, is the effort that's being put into landscaping areas mm. that are visited by the public... Um, and uh, I've, I've, it's on a level which I've not seen anywhere else in Australia. Yeah. And obviously, 
money available yeah. from the courtesy of the iron ore, mm-hmm. um, and it's been poured into these areas, and it, and it's kind of uh, well. A lot of effort has been put into analysing exactly how to uh, set up these landscapes so that people can visit them without damaging them. Mm. And um, so there's quite a bit happening, which I've I've not seen in anywhere else, really. Um, It's uh, just in terms of parking car, walking to see a landscape, in such a way that you're not actually damaging the landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, we went to a place called Hemlin Pool, uh, Hemlin Bay, um, which is um, um, south of Margaret River, southwest of Margaret River. That's a good spot to see um, stingrays, oh. <laughs> of all things. In fact, there's several rays that cruise up and down this shallow bay and uh, you can actually walk into the water, and, and there they are. And uh, and one of these things was a stingray was actually sort of cruising right next to people paddling in the water, um, <laughs> not paying them any attention. But the uh, what I spotted was the the efforts had gone into actually creating paths, which are obvious and 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 and. Uh, um, and designed in such a way that people didn't want to cut corners and jump all over sand dunes, and the sand dunes were all well, been revegetated very successfully. And uh, this has all happened since I last was there, so mm. it's not, well, a few years ago, you know, 10, 15 years back. They're very quick to act on weeds too because I noticed there's um, a really weedy type of euphorbia that covers the beaches and when I was there, there was like a whole group of people and they were pulling them out. I was like, wow, they're acting really quick, even yeah. though I'm sure there's areas that aren't. But yep. mm. Yeah, and we did see that euphorbia. I was trying to figure out what on earth it might be. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it looks a bit like rigid, but it's not. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know, but it's it's taken off. Yeah, like it's, yeah. And it's just growing in complete sand. It's fascinating how quickly it's just taken off. But yeah. Yeah, and I have yeah. a photograph of the planting along the beach at um, Esperance, which is mainly gazanias. Which oh, is, yeah. they, they look fabulous. Gazanias <laughs> <Yeah>. do <laughs> look Not exactly on the that. plant that's meant to be there, though. But uh, yes, just stunningly, uh, just all sorts of colours and just. Mm. Fabulous. I think tourism Western Australia should be giving us some money right now for yeah. that, um, promoting well, Western I, Australia. I, I must admit, I felt I felt exactly that. I've, I've felt yeah. that the, 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 this money has been concentrated just a tiny bit too much. Okay, okay. <laughs> My BSB and account number is. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we have our first caller for this morning, and uh, it's Jill from East Brighton. She'd like to know uh, what native fish is in her pond and Ooh. mostly directed towards M. What native fish are in her pond? Yes. yes I'm, I'm Hi, Jill. Hi. Hello. Yes, I was wanting to um, get a um, – sorry, I'm getting feedback here. I'll put myself off speaker. <laughs> Thank you. That should help. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes, I uh, – I'm building a what I hope will be a frog pond, mm. and I had heard that there are some small native fish that you can get that won't eat the frog spawn. Is, is that right, or am I being mm. overly optimistic? No, I mean, they will still have a little nibble, but yes, better than goldfish, absolutely. So um, going for native yeah. species of fish are going to be a lot more friendlier in your pond. Um, there are smaller fish yes. that aren't going to gulp them all up all the time. So... Um, 
I'm going to plug um, Chris Lamon from Middle Creek Farms. Hang on, I'll just Chris Lamon. Chris Lamon. Oh, Chris. So, you know, Chris yeah, and then Lamon, L-A-M-I-N. Yes. And that's from Middle Creek Farms. Middle Creek Farm. Just writing this down. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And yep. she's wonderful and she breeds a whole lot of native fish. So she'll have what you'll need, which will be your pygmy perch. Pygmy perch, yes, I've heard heard that before, yes. Um, Yes. And it might be worth just chatting to there because there is some species I'm not really going to say on air that um, she might um, be able to help you with. Um, You can also put in, it might get a little bit cold where you are, but if your pond is um, protected, you could also put in some like Murray River rainbows um, because she has her fish outside and it's down near Briagalon, so it gets pretty cold there. They're pretty good and pretty acclimatized you might be able to put a few of them in as well so the the best thing there is that you've got a top dwelling fish and a a middle to bottom dwelling fish which are really great in terms of keeping down mosquito larvae and things like that um yeah yeah so a nice little active pond so that would be the best way um, oh, terrific, yeah. terrific. Yep. Yes, and look, we don't get too cold here because we're near the sea. We don't yeah. get frost or anything like that. Yes. Um, so so um, the rainbows will be fine, and they're great. They'll dance across the top of the water and they'll pick off, you know, like I said, the mosquito larvae and things like that that come to the top. Um, and, yeah, they're lovely, just a lovely, lovely little idea. fish. Yeah. Oh, terrific. So but glad also, to hear that you go for natives. Yeah. Yes, well, no, I've heard you speak before and I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense and... and, and um, Yes, I'm, I've been told builders and they will come in terms of the <laughs> Yep. But, yeah. but, but I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit um, uh, concerned about that because, I've, you know, we're on the sand belt so mm. that, you know, our soil just drains so fast. I've never heard a frog croaking around here. Yeah, you will get <laughs> my- marsh, like you get a striped marsh frog and things like that through there. You'd be quite surprised once you've, no, I think you'd be very surprised what mm. you'll find. Yeah. Oh, good. good yeah, good, you well, keep good. hoping. I, you, we'll see. Yes. You will see. Yes. Yeah. And it's not just that. It can be the insect species that you get there as well, which is really important for your garden too. So you'll yes. see that diversity come through in different ways, which which you will find really rewarding. Yes, which would be fabulous. And, yeah. and I must say, at, at the moment, just, just mentioning that, I was out in the back garden yesterday and there were damselflies everywhere. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and some big dragonflies too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just gorgeous, zooming around, which is really good. Hopefully they, the dragonflies are catching all the mozzies. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah they will be. They'll be working. They're all working. Everyone's hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I had a very friendly one in the shower with me this morning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice yeah. surprise. Um, yes. And, and, look, I also wanted to say how much I'm enjoying the conversation with, with oh. you know, Jeremy and everybody. It, it, it's fascinating and loved hearing about Western Australia and all of that. It's, oh, um, yeah, it's great stuff. Thank you yep. so much for that Thank feedback, you, Jill. Jill. That's yeah, lovely. Thanks for calling, Jill. And please no be worries. sure to call in and update us on how your pond is progressing yeah. once you've got your fish. Oh, yes, I, yeah, I will. I will. It's taken nearly a year to get the thing built. It would. If you do, um, if you ever want to talk with me too directly for some fish, if you're finding a little bit hard to get them, because Chris is quite far, um, if you go on my website um, and just email me or give me a call because my phone number will be on there and I'll help you out. Thank you so much. Okay. Very kind. Thank you so much. No, it's good. Okay. Thanks, Jill. Okay. All the best. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Jill. Wonderful. Well, 
Thanks for calling in, Jill. Uh, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. This morning, you've got myself, Emma Hurd, Chloe Foster, who's a horticultural educator at Melbourne Polytechnic. You've got Emmeline Bowman from STEM Landscape Architecture and Design. And you've got Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill up in the Dandenong Ranges. So I might do a couple of community announcements just before I officially open up the phone lines because Jill must be a consistent listener. Jill's got us on speed dial. Yeah. I respect that. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. We, yeah, we'd love to hear that. Uh, so we've got some lovely announcements from Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, today there's still time to visit... Uh, Maryborough Butter Factory and Gardens, which is at 165 Railway Street in Maryborough, and that's open from 10 a.m. till 4.30 p.m. So uh, go to the Open Gardens Victoria website for all the info on that, which is opengardensvictoria.org.au. And uh, next weekend, we've got uh, two... Oh, a double pass to give away. So once I open up the phone lines, you'll be able to ring in and get this. Um, so on the 3rd and the 4th of December, we've got Heartland, which is at 9 Francis Street in Frankston. Uh, and that is Jack Samler's garden. Uh, it's a personally expressive and experimental garden of 350 to 400 square metres. So quite a nice standard sized block, but boy, does she pack a lot in there. And so it's a really wonderful experience. Um, she's also got a book out called Super Bloom, um, and that will be available on the day. We also have uh, Tranquility, which is an open garden coming up in Narry Warren. Uh, that is on the same weekend and we have a double pass for that available also. Uh, both these gardens are open from 10am till 4.30pm. Adult entry is $10, students are $6 and under 18s are free. So please go to the Open Gardens Victoria website for all the information on those two events and um, call in now. So I'll mention our phone number which is 94190155. And you're welcome to call in and chat to us as well. Um, one other little announcement we've got, and this is next year, but nice to get in early, um, the Ballarat Begonia Festival, which is run every year, is coming up on Saturday the 11th to Monday the 13th of March. Um, all the information can be found at ballaratbegoniafestival.com.au. It's free general admission and they'll be uh, showing their signature collection of rare begonias and they've got an exciting program of events. So check out their website. That must be Labor Day weekend. Mm. So book it early. Mm. Get up to Ballarat for yeah. the weekend. Yeah, it's going to be a lovely event. It is every year. They've got a gorgeous conservatory up there. And um, the fernery is going to be beautiful too. I'll just sort of What do you that. know about that, Em? Well, <laughs> uh, I worked on the design for the fernery with Andrea Proctor Landscape, so we're very excited. I'm not sure it will be open by then, but, you know, fingers crossed it would be lovely if it was, but we're just managing build at the moment, you know. So mm. we'll see how it goes. Build. Anyone else got any wonderful events that they'd like to highlight? Um, we're not 
we haven't uh, any particular events over this summer um, at Cloud Hill. Um, sadly, we, we normally have Shakespeare, but um, mm. we had a tragedy um, uh, some weeks back when uh, Bruce Woodop died, and he was head of the Ozact uh, team who put on our Shakespeare, and so they're going to take a, a few months to just... Um, figure out just what direction they're going in but uh, that's that's very really sad for us because we've been hosting um, their um, shows uh, for about mm. 15 years yeah. so um, mm. hopefully next, well not this coming year but uh, the following year that they'll uh, pick up the threads Yeah, that's but very the, sad and yeah. it takes time like, mm. you know People are irreplaceable. It takes a long time to find yeah. someone that can. Yeah, Bruce was particularly yeah. irreplaceable. So mm. yes, um, yes, it's very sad. Um, apart from that, well, diggers, so we're, we're getting back into doing workshops at Cloud Hill, the diggers um, club workshops, and uh, but they, they they have one a few uh, a couple of weeks back, and the next one will be uh, in February with bees oh. in the early. Uh, February, so uh, just bee check the Diggers Club. Or bee hotels, <laughs> or what? all that stuff. I expect. Okay. Yeah. So bees, bees, bees. yes, uh, oh, these are complicated little beasts. Apart yeah. from the honeybee, all the all the the, the, the native bees are just well <laughs> staggering. Yeah, there yes. are quite. There's a couple of hives at Cloud Hill, aren't there? Uh, well, we did have them, so not at the moment, but okay. we've got to get back into them. Yeah. Yep. It, it takes a lot of management. And I think as well since um, everyone's been on high alert for varroa mite, you know, it, yep. it's another complexity involved in being an apiarist. So, you know. Yeah, uh, my understanding is that they are having some success yeah. in containing that. So yeah. that, that that's mildly surprising, actually, yeah, considering how news. nasty that thing is. Mm. But uh, hats off to the people track. who are tackling it. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. It's, um, yeah. Monitoring your hives is very important, though. Yep, yep, mm. absolutely. I had the pleasure of playing with some beehives a couple of weeks ago Ooh. for work. Melbourne Polytech is, uh, they've run beekeeping short courses for a little while, but they're, we're introducing a certificate three in beekeeping. Uh, and that were, uh, it was my first photo shoot. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have loved that. And it was great because you couldn't see me. Oh, I knew. So I was all the beekeeping gear. And so I didn't have to worry about what I looked like. And I felt so confident. But it was great. So I was with um, our, our beekeeping teacher and he was just showing me the hives and showing me what he does and the, and the camera, the photographers were there taking photos. And um, we, we found the queen and then we... That'd he showed me the hives that have the honey in them and I learnt something which I felt like I should have known. What's that? <laughs> that the honey comes from the nectar. I always thought it came from the pollen. Oh, mm. I wouldn't actually know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've always yeah. wanted – I haven't kept bees. Um, I'll just say to like one of my staff members, I'd always wanted to keep bees but my dad is so allergic to oh, the point no. where he should have a little band so my whole life has been like stay away from the bees <laughs> and of it's course. come through as an adult because I'm like oh my god I can't wait I've got a property I can get bees but then I think oh, what my, if your dad my visits dad visits yeah down the back of the property it'll have to be right All and, the way I, down the back. and I really want to learn because I keep thinking about them but um yeah honey and bees I get fascinated from a botanical perspective at is all sorry all the different types of honey that you can mm. get oh 
and which which makes sense with the nectar with the nectar thing now. Yeah. So if you go up to Beechworth Honey in Beechworth, for example, they've got a big table of all the different honeys that mm. they have, and you can try all them: yellow box, um, red Mallee, yeah. Banksia honey, orange blossom. <laughs> Every single gum tree has a and all the different tastes, yeah. and it just fascinates me from a botanical perspective the different I don't know chemical makeup mm. of the nectar of those flowers. And, and then how would they help must that- manage that by having groves of those plants for the bees to harvest from? That's something I question as well. So yeah. I think they move the they move the hives around to the different areas when yeah. the particular gums are flowering mm. on the particular tea trees, like the Leptospermum sure. scoparium is the Australian manuka. And they they time it. Or they yeah. schedule it, and that's that season of yeah. Okay. Or they might have. It depends on the on the on the apiarist. Mm. They might have those hives permanently in those areas that are particularly high mm. in a particular species. That would be interesting. We should get someone on that manages. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah. yeah, because that it really ties into plants so perfectly. You know. Yeah, around them. We, we used to have a, a beekeeper who would uh, leave two or three hundred hives um, on our farm, um, chasing one particular tree, um, uh, the um, powder bark, mm. which I'm not too, too sure of the Latin, uh, very similar to the wandu. In fact, I thought they were wandus, just uh, just slightly different. Uh, so, uh, the bark was a slightly different colour, but I presume that was something to do with the soil type they were growing on. And uh, oh, this guy put me right very quickly. Like flower at <laughs> a different time. Don't you pay attention? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you talk to a beekeeper, a professional beekeeper, and these people know their plants. Yeah. Oh, do yeah. they what? Yeah. Uh, and he he had. Half a dozen truckloads of bees, and he was moving them backwards and forwards all over the southwest of Western Australia. But what it staggered me was the productivity of these trees. Mm. We we had maybe mm, three, four, five hundred powder bark trees. They were flowering over about six, eight weeks, and these several hundred trees. And the well, well, a truckload of hives. Mm. I guess about two hundred hives. Um, would generate uh, 44-gallon drums. Now I'm talking old school here. (laughs) Uh, But a 44-gallon drum, a couple of hundred litres of of honey. But, but but, um, you know, 40, 50 drums. And uh, from just these few hundred um, um, trees that we had scattered around half of our property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's just staggering. I could never get over it. Eucalyptus um, accedens. Accedens. Yeah, beautiful tree. Ah, stunningly beautiful tree. Really nice sort of yellowy, creamy flowers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, that was in. Yeah. Did you say that was in South Australia? No, Western Australia. Okay. Yeah, growing on hmm, <laughs> gravelly hills, <laughs> yeah, Brookside hills. <laughs> How surprising! <laughs> Best honey I've ever. Back to honey. When we were in Tassie, they had this um, little honey. I don't know, beehive place in um, Brittany Island. And they did the same thing, let us taste test everything. And the best one, and it just blew my mind, was the fennel honey. They'd, been, they'd gone to fennel. And the, the taste is just incredible. It's a bit 
It kind of a little bit like maple syrup, but oh, that would be the only little hint of maple syrup. No aniseed? No, no aniseed. Not, 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 if you think fennel, it's not going to taste anything like fennel. And See, then, that was my first thought as well. Every, and then you said I was like, maple. surely Emma's going to say it tasted like no, aniseed. <laughs> it tasted like maple syrup. The sweetest, completely different taste you've ever had. And then I had a client and she had her bees out and all she has these massive rosemary hedges and it pollinated they went to the rosemary and that was a really weird taste but that was more medicinal it didn't taste like rosemary but it tasted like medicine of some sort it was very odd it was unique i really liked it but yeah yeah it's fascinating you'd become obsessed in being like oh let's the bees go to this one now (laughs) let's taste the world of flowers (laughs) it's just it's just incredible and you know another reason why we need to retain the ecosystems that we have and yeah and plant lots of plants and have all the flowers and Mm. but that being said I have to say I did have to do a um I did a habitat talk about three weeks ago and I did go on that notion of we have to be careful of our European honeybees yeah because they don't actually um they're not as beneficial to the Australian ecosystem as you think they only pollinate five percent um and they are quite um hostile to other bees and they tend to outcompete. So there is that that side where I, here I am going, now hang on everyone, there's a little bit of a balance here, <laughs> but there is. So we have yep. to also be very careful and mindful of how bees are. But they're good for our agricultural system and everything like that, now other species of plants. Yeah, and it's still important to plant diversity because Absolutely. there are heaps of our native bees around. The Absolutely. Nu- the, the amount of native species, bee species that we have, I feel like the number keeps growing. It's like, yeah, there's 2,000 more. It keeps, yeah, it's one of my friends or... posted on Instagram the other day, oh, new species of native bee. I was like, yeah. oh, another one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I got these little um, uh, Chrysler Bacteriaes. I think I brought them in one week. And yeah, I, I just, remember with the yeah. kind of soft grey foliage, yes. but really gorgeous white flowers. Exactly yeah. that, Em. And mm. I planted them. And it's amazing that paper daisies, like when you touch them, you think it's just paper daisy, like what bugs mm. are going to enjoy this? Mm. I cannot ex- I tell you how many insects yeah. on this. I planted in the garden. They're all going to it. And I've, I counted yesterday nearly, I think I'll take a photo, but I had five different species that I'd never even seen and they're all on each flower. Oh, that's amazing. And they were just insane. They were all just drawn to it. So, yeah. It's like a landing pad yeah, for them, the, da- yeah. the daisy flowers. True. And a lot of the xerocrysums and the, oh, the, the bigger flowering mm. chrysocephalums, yeah. it, they just zoom in. You're so right. And they just, they love it. Yeah. Yeah, they just all sit on there. You're yeah. right. They're like little landing yeah. pads. You're yeah. right. Yeah. And, and, and actually, it's slightly um, inverted the other way, but plants in the carrot family, like if you let a mm. carrot go to flower, yep. parsley flowers, coriander mm. flowers, they're just landing pads yeah. for the for these insects. I thought of it like that. And it's, per- right. it's perfect it for is. them. Yeah, it's and good you opt- to let your vegetables go to seed if you can, just a few mm. of them. Whereas I guess everything. <laughs> European ones, like if you actually think about it, a lot of European flowers, the bees can go in. Yeah. Whereas we, a lot of our flowers sort of... I never thought of it like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And, and straight away you think this is not a coincidence. No. Yeah, surely not. Yeah, no, no, no it's, it's evolution. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, the plants uh, uh, need the insects, yeah. I love these talks. Yeah, Sometimes you get like... <laughs> and then you go, oh, my mind's starting to get blown. Is it the chicken <laughs> and the egg? Did the flower shape come first or was the insect around first? 
If I go back and read my notes from uni, I'll probably work out which one started yeah. to fall yeah. first. And there's probably other listeners going, of course they're like that, guys. How did you not know that before? It's like, well, you get so involved into things, you never think of the most easy thing of all. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I might just mention our text number as well because some people might not want to call in. So our text number is 048809. Eight double five, and some people might not want to call or text, or they might have a photograph that they want us to see. So you can email for images and whatever you've got to say to three cr dot gardening at gmail dot com, and we won't be addressing any emails this week because we didn't get any. But um, next week, you know, maybe you'll drop us a line. Drop us an email. Drop us an email. email. Mm. And just in case, uh, our phone line is 94190155. So shall we get into some plant chat? Who's who's brought a plant? Am I the only one today? Jeremy's got a list. Well, I've I've got some images. uh, So we'll pop them up later. Should I go? Go in. I'll I'll put them up on the table and you start talking. Okay, okay. So for, oh, we'll go with the pretty one. Mm. Always. Pretty, pretty. Okay. So, yeah, this, um, I brought in a few plants because I went to the um, Cranbourne plant sale. And um, this, I've got a few. I'll talk about the Raising Rarity. Um, I know the crew there were like, definitely give us a plug about Raising Rarity. (laughs) And it's very important. But I do have this fantastic Veronica. It's a Veronica perfoliata. So everyone knows, well, not everyone, but yeah, a lot of people know this. But this one is a narrow leaf form. So it's very different because it's got a very narrow leaf and like little spikies. Mm. But a beautiful purple flower, like just stunning. It, it, they start from the top of the plants and they sort of, you know, grow the way to the top. I'm not explaining this very well. How would we the explain this? The inflorescence opens Thank at the you. bottom and continually totally. opens to the top. Thank it's a Sunday you. morning. I'm right? just it's like, it's, my brain's not working. But the cut leaf on this is particularly interesting. Yes. yes. And when you see this, like if anyone is going to Cranbourne Botanical Gardens, there's um, towards the end of the walk, you will see these shrubs mm. um, and in mass, it's just fantastic. And the foliage itself is beautiful because it's more upright than the normal perfoliata. Like it grows more like a meadow sort of plant. So, yeah, I got a few of these because I'm like, I want these in my garden. And they get about a metre by a metre. They do, yeah. metre by metre, sorry. Um, and, yeah, like long-time flowering too because I've had them flowering. But they actually weeks. look a lot more like Veronica's uh, mm. around the world. It does. And mm. the Veronicastrums uh, uh, are very vertical. Yeah. Well, at least uh, growing out of the pot. But, yeah. Uh, no, as, the as, shrub, as a shrub, the it's shrub still vertical. Is, that's what I – it's the, – the perfoliata normal you tends yeah. to go a little bit. It's really scrambling. Yes, yeah. this, this one this is, is upright. And the foliage on the regular Veronica perfoliata, it does vary depending on where it's been collected yeah. from. And sometimes it's more rounded but sometimes it's pointed. Exactly. Um. And it's this blue. is so upright. Yeah, it's blue. And, and this it, is green. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even think it's really the well, same I thought species, it was, but I, I don't know. I thought it was Veronica Arenaria when you walked in. No, because mm-hmm. I brought an Arenaria, and Arenaria is definitely upright, but yep. it's got a very fine foliage. Yeah. But much finer than this. And yeah. I've 
Yeah, I've gotten heaps of them. Oh, my God, I love that one. Yeah. You should be able to propagate that too. That yes. should prop really easily. Apparently all just cuttings Little very stem easily. Cuttings, yeah. yeah. With oh, a couple of nodes in the soil. You know. yeah. Much greener foliage too than yeah. the, the silvery kind of foliage of the perfoliata. So at um, – well, Tom, Tom always listens to this. He works with us. But um, – Tom Hogan, <laughs> we've got this obsession, well, I think we do with the Veronicas. Like, honestly, we've got yeah. Formosa, I've got Nivea, we've got Porfoliata now, Arenaria. The Veronicas in Australia are just phenomenal. Yeah. It's they're, a big collector's item, that yeah, one. Yeah, I love mm. them. And they're so resilient. Yep. You can kind of put them in. They just do, they just grow and you can hack them back. Yeah. Because they shoot from the base. Yeah. Pack them. They're really low no. maintenance. Like They're the Australian good. salvia. It is. It is. It's so good. How many good. times have you said that to sell it to a client? <laughs> None. None. <laughs> yeah. do you don't usually time. have to sell the Veronicas, even like the Australian and the exotic ones. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm. Yeah. Going to be every stem design from now. I'm just be um, be Veronicas. <laughs> change, <laughs> change, change. Change your business. Logo. No one else steal that name. <laughs> Okay, and then, um, yeah, so I'm going to do a plug for the Raising Rarity team um, at Cranbourne. So they've been um, growing plants that are from very restricted areas or plants that have become quite endangered. Um, they had a range of different things. You know, I've got um, the Grevillea infecticunda, which we have a project up in Bowen Heads, so I've got a few of them to pl- pl- plug into a project. Is that from? Is that species from around the Bowen Heads all area? All Bowen Heads, all that coastal region. It's like um, a holly Grevillea, if you kind of think about it. It's very spiky, little red flower. Um, but, yeah, quite um, quite rare now. So, um, yeah, it's just great to be able to grab some plants. That And why have they been collecting these restricted species what's the the point of that the idea behind it um is that if we do have these um sort of smaller localized areas that they're becoming more endangered it's bringing them into our gardens Mm. to be able to create that diversity and to also have a bit of a a bank of all these plants a bit like how you know the woolamai pine sort of became Mm. a big thing like there's these Mm. tiny little lot but it's bringing in these plants to gain awareness for them to understand, obviously, the growing conditions, how they can propagate them, but creating that bank of plants so we don't lose them or they yeah, don't become yeah. too restricted. And not to be alarmist about it, but it really is time that we're seeding diversity into our gardens, not just buying uh, cultivated, hybridised plants yep. from nurseries which are still wonderful yep. but if we can really mix it up and make sure that some of these rare plants are in our gardens and, and that's so valuable it's exactly that am i like i love all plants and if i could have every single plant in my garden i would but i really <laughs> obviously love when we're sort of really showcasing some of our beauties that we have locally and that honestly supports so many species of animals like like i was saying when i put that um that chrysocephalum in the insects mm. is just crazy like it's amazing what more they attract than, yeah and it minimize one thing it does is minimize pests and diseases as well because yeah. you have that higher diversity of insects around absolutely yeah yeah so if you plug it all in and you can still have all your exotics it looks fantastic but some of sorry to interrupt yeah. some of these species are restricted for a reason it's because they're really hard to grow mm. but what they're doing with this raising rarity project mm is they're working out which these which of these rare species are a little bit more resilient mm. and able to tolerate different soil types and other conditions. Yeah. And mm. and I mean you brought in a heap today. Oh and not as many as I little... put in my garden. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful diverse selection of yeah. rare plants. I'm glad you 
um, um, said the bit though where they are, they can be put into other people's gardens. Yeah. That is mm-hmm. part of it. I forgot to sort of say that. But um, and the thing is, don't be afraid to try something that is maybe a little bit trickier. You know, like it's okay. A lot of these are small specimens as well. So if you're starting with a small tube stock, you know, it's not a a huge sacrifice and investment to lose one or two, you know, just give it a try. Yeah. And just remember everyone, you know, obviously we're professionals, Mm. but we're trialing too. That's Mm. why we buy these things because we want to test it and we'll kill it too. Don't worry. (laughs) It's normal. It does happen. Is this a Damperia? It is. Yeah. I, I that actually snuck in because I was going. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to give this to a friend, but um, this is Damperia teres. Yeah, I find that yeah. it won't grow for me because our soil is just a bit too intense. For yeah, it. it's too rich, too yeah. wet and boggy. Yeah, um, yeah it I, likes a dry. Life. I was actually bringing this for a friend, so it snuck in because I brought it from the place. But I wasn't going to talk about it. it, but it's very pretty. I'm glad you bought it. Though. Yeah, it it's beautiful. a stunning Dampera. Well, we've been talking about it this morning. Mm. Um, beautiful silver foliage, purple flowers. Mm. They do like a sandy, well-drained soil, so mm. not good for our mountainous areas. No. Um, this orthoxanthus um, delinii um, is a type of rice flower, very, very beautiful shrub, only found around um, the Stirling Ranges, like Mount Erica, all the back of the mountain ranges through there. Mm. Um, and I've got a bit of a story about this because of my partner. So first of all, he's in bad books because, <laughs> well, all I wanted for my birthday was a whippersnipper and I was very excited and I got it. And then when I get home, here's Stein firing up my whippersnipper, using it for the first time and christened it. So I was very upset. So he bought it for himself, basically. <laughs> and then, and then I had a whole row of these planted. And yes, the grass is long. And what did he do? He oh, whippersnipped no. it. <laughs> it was bad. Did he bad. them down to nothing? Or yes. Are they gonna come on? They're dead. Oh, no. And we had... And my brother was there and he's like, oh, she's going to go skits. <laughs> I run out the house and I'm there, what have you done? You're in anyway, <laughs> I thought I'd bring that into the story because partners can like, you know, when you, when you love your plants, you're obsessed, mm. aren't you? So you're like, you know exactly where they are. You're watching their growth. And he would have had such good intention. He had such yeah. good intention, his little face, but I was furious anyway it's such a beautiful plant it's it's, it's got these gorgeous sort of shiny it's glossy lanceolate yeah. leaves it, and sort of silvery stem it is mm. it's silvery underneath it it's kind of gives like a silvery sheen mm. when the sun goes on it and you get these beautiful big rice paper flowers like the helicopter landing pads again yeah. mm. um this one gets i think it was 1.5 it doesn't have it here it's like 1.5 by 1.5 can you spell it for listeners just yeah, good idea. Sure. They love, they love so Ozothamnus is O-Z-O-T-H-A-M-N-U-S and Stirlingii, S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G-I-I. Thanks, Anne. Okay. They're quite big. I'm just looking at a yeah, photo of it. it. The flowers are quite They're big, big for an ozothamnus. Yes. So mm. they've all usually got like rice flour. They look like little grains of rice yeah, but all these clumped are, together. Yeah. But these are quite big. They're actually a little bit different, yeah. But the foliage is big for the genus as well with that particular species. It's very unique. Yeah, it is. And it's very upright, different. quite rigid. Yeah. I guess it's to deal with those harsh conditions too, like 
they have to have these thicker leaves and mm. tell us about the root systems. Oh. You're sh- you're showing me. You're telling me about it before That's you went on air. Right. I was talking. I was actually talking to you, Chloe. Um, you were? I got a. Oh, it's a brachyscome, and I've forgotten. It's an alpine brachyscome, and what I found was really interesting. And it was a few other species. I had a um, grevillea as well. But when I went to plant them in the ground. I exposed the roots and the roots are so thick and succulent like. Mm. And I was just saying to you, like, it's it's almost like it's a response in these alpine areas. Um, and I think like to hold themselves into the ground, but then you made a really good observation that it's also probably for insulation. Yeah. I just wonder, yeah. If anyone obviously listening um, could give us a bit of more information, but the, the thing I have found with any of these alpine plants is the root systems are really, really thick. Do you have... So, yeah, and you're, you're thinking that the ground freezes down uh, 70 centimetres. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So the roots need to be able to withstand that. Yeah. Mm. So it is, it's the, thick, it's the yep. thermal qualities then mainly. Yep. Yeah. But it was really fascinating and just so dense. And then the leaves itself are very, very succulent-like. Um, yeah, this particular brachyscrome, I love it. And the flowers are about double the size. Oh, wow. It's really cool. Very cool. Um, do you want me to keep going or do we need to share? <laughs> well, we'll do one more. we we'll do one more? And then we'll share. And then we'll share. <laughs> and then we'll share. Well, what... What do you guys, what's tickling your fancy at the moment? The, the okay, everyone thinks this is Pycnosaurus, but it's not. <laughs> so everyone's aware of Billy Buttons, mm-hmm. um, but this one is also part of the Raising Rarity mix as well. So we've got Crispedia Cannons. Mm-hmm. Now, it is, looks exactly like a Billy Button, um, but it's also a very locally rare species. And it seeds really exceptionally well. So if you pop it into your garden, it sort of likes your free-draining, moistish soils, that sort of variable conditions. Um, but, yeah, once it goes sets into flower, drop the seed and you'll find that it'll keep on spreading from there. It's a lovely, lovely in a grassland. Beautiful yeah. in a mm. grassland. Yeah. With, and if you want something to contrast with the yellow, like Wallenbergia, Oh, is quite gorgeous with it. The wallies are looking so good yeah, right and now. And chocolate lilies. Seeds. Yes, chocolate lilies. Yes. You know, there's so many lovely things that you can kind of, you can even, if you can get your hands on seed and create your own seed mix. Yeah, well, considering this is easy to see, because I yeah. find Pycnosaurus globosus, it, I don't get any, I haven't had any success with it seeding around. It's mm. sort of the plant itself, but this one, mm, just yeah. Lovely. So it's very interesting. Mm. Um, again, Locally rare um, from like Toongabi, all of those sort of East Gippsland areas going up through mm. there. Um, yeah, so obviously, again, like what Chloe said before, they're producing plants that are better suited in your garden. Mm. You can sort of create an established environment of these species that you can use and and they keep generating rather than it just dying off. And the flower stem is taller than the regular billy buttons, the Pycnosaurus globosus. Like that's... Oh. 50 centimetres, or have you seen them bigger? I've seen them bigger. Okay. Yeah, I think it depends where Pycnosaurus is located, but right. I've had them up to nearly a metre tall. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they can go nuts. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah, <laughs> but it's very, very similar, but I think for the seeding aspect, mm. really important, because I love, like, planting Wallenbergia and things like that in, because I want that succession after. I want mm. them to, to spread. Yeah. Mm. 
Thank all right. you. Share time. Thank you so much for bringing all those in. They're wonderful. It's I've my got pleasure. some spares just in we case. We might come back. You to can them. come back. They've got some water plants here. I thought I'd check. But we do have another caller, actually. We've got another Jill uh, from Malvern East. So, hello, Jill. Hi. Hi. I you think the glory of Charles this afternoon. We can't hear you very uh, yes. well, Jill. Could you? Are you on speakerphone? Is that better? Um, still quite quiet, but you're wanting to know when there's a good time to plant Gloriosa lily. Yes. yes. Uh, I thought yesterday was so warm, so hot, mm. the soil would be hot, and it, it did have sweet peas in it, but I pulled them out a bit a while ago because they were dreadful this year, <laughs> and uh, I think it's facing east, and also facing north, but it wouldn't get westerly sun. Well, that's good. I think, yeah, you could plant them right now. Okay. Well, I'll add, I'll add some leaf mould and some compost and a bit of uh, animal manure as well, so it'll be okay. And I'll put the animal manure lower down. It's, I've had it for about... Two years, so it's yeah. okay. You know, it's not going to burn it. Yeah, that's good. I always make sure you combine it quite well with okay. your compost and other leaf matter. Well, it's been so cold. I thought, no, it's too cold to plant it now, seeing it comes from Africa. Mm. So. But I think we've. I think we're starting to break through. I mean, I'm not a meteorologist, but I think we're starting mm. to head into, you know. <laughs> more conventionally spring times. Yes, well, it was 27, 24 to 29 yesterday, so I mm. guess that's, that's the hottest it's been for ages, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. What else have you got growing in your garden, Jill? Oh, I've got heaps of things, mostly pink and magenta. I've got lots of every, everything magenta is out now, you know, the flat <laughs> carnations. Uh, mm. And uh, I've got the pink... Um, Big pink daisy. Um, oh, lovely. Maybe you can put some of the Veronica's in that we were talking about that M brought in. Yes, you might I like them. <laughs> yes, Veronica's nice. I've got, I've got a couple of pink salvias. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like salvias. And, you know, lots of dianthus, all mm. the different magentas and crimsons. It looks absolutely brilliant now. Oh, sounds marvellous. So, so the Gloriosa... Uh, it's in with my garden seed of magenta and a little bit of crimson, hmm. pink and magenta and uh, crimson. So. Lovely. Well, thanks for calling That's in, Jill. Such a pleasure. Thank thanks you. for the affirmation about doing what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's our pleasure. Have Thank a lovely you. morning. Bye. Bye. Bye, Joe. It's one big advantage of a season like this is it's a good planting season. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were flat out planting, well, from um, uh, all through October, really, and uh, right up until recently. I've like, got a tiny bit to do, but normally I'd, I'd finish planting by now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we try and get it all in. Um, well, in October, if if possible. Yeah, it has but, been an elongated season yep, for planting. Yep. Like and and, got... the, and it keeps raining fairly regularly. So mm. and and the, the soil is warm enough uh, for 
roots to move. Yeah, that's good. Not for wetland. I've been having to delay our water planting because it's just so cold. Just can't get like that time to mm. put it in. So I'm, I'm hoping, mm. what, in two weeks. Has the rain delayed you as well? I mean, I know too. you're in a water planting. It probably yeah. doesn't matter too much if you're raining, if it's raining. Yeah. But, but no, it's... There's it, been a lot of rain. It's too much rain. Mm. It's hard to get in. Um, but it is, it's something, like, you need the water to be quite warm as well. And so you still... can imagine, yeah, so if it's really still cold and you're trying to put these water plants, because they go dormant, so you really mm. want them to, when you want to put them in, you want them to take off yeah. really quickly. But when you've got these weird seasons and you're like, no, it's still cold. And, I mean, we had mm. two weeks ago it was like nearly, what, eight degrees? And I, in Macedon it was six. I had a fire yeah. on on Monday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was freezing. Yeah, and so that completely cools the water because the water at the bottom is when the deeper it is the colder yeah. and it takes a lot longer to heat up the water anyway and it depends what stage you're at in the project as well like if you're doing excavation for a, a wetland project then the rain really slows it down. yeah yeah anyway mm. looks like Fair you've time. got a book Jeremy. oh uh well <laughs> well i've i've, I've Raced around uh, yesterday afternoon taking some images, uh, which we can pop up later. Mm. But um, um, I mentioned we, we have been flat out planting and replanting and rearranging. Uh, we're, we're rearranging all the frontal planting of our borders, our summer borders, um, and um, taking advantage of uh, two or three new plants that have appeared recently. It's a Nyphophia. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, not I'm, I'm, it's a Thomsonii, but it's, um, there's another part of its name which I can't quite remember at the moment. But a, a beautiful red hot poker with um, um, a much more elegant than any of the, um, any others that I know of and getting up uh, around about um, approaching a metre high mm. and um, flowering for ages with a particularly elegant flower, quite a strong orange, um, gold orange. And um, so we're using those in our warm borders, uh, along the front of our warm borders, partly because over the years everything grows and we put in some Cephalotaxis herringtonia fastigiata uh, quite a few years ago and though those have grown there's um, four of them on each side and they these things give the impression of an iris u but they're, they're reliable whereas the u's are not mm. <clears throat> and um, planting them in um, formally uh, you, you want something which is uh, you know is going to perform of course and these things are up around about two meters high now and uh, looking good dark one of those black greens and, and uh, like sitting t- sitting back from the path just a little bit, so they kind of con- um, compress the view along the path. Are the cephalotaxis poisonous still? Or? Interesting question. Interesting question. Yeah, the taxis, of course, uh, mm. full of taxanol, mm. uh, which is pretty toxic. Not uh, that I'm looking to eat cephalotaxis <laughs> anyway, but it's, I just... Yeah, how closely related are cephalotaxis mm. to taxis? I'm not sure. Mm. Yes, I've, uh, yes, yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, there the, was, uh, of course, taxanol is something, is an anti-cancer agent, and, mm, yeah. and uh, this was discovered, of, what, uh, not too many years ago, and, and, uh, and the easiest source of taxanol was people cutting their, their U hedges, so... Mm. 
Um, so all around Europe, uh, everyone was asked to collect their clippings, and <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't know how that's going at the moment, and just just how important that's become. Anyway, the uh, the Chinese plum you, the cephalotaxes, have, have uh, are doing their thing. Um, and they're beautiful. And, they're beautiful and, and uh, yeah, they're, they're just extremely architectural. Mm. And um, as I said, they they so similar to an Irish U, the fastidious form mm. of the uh, European U, that uh, even nursery people get them confused. Yeah. I would say for listeners, if you're looking for something quite upright where you maybe usually use a like a, a smog or a capresciacy kind of thing, you could probably put a cephalotexas in instead. Yeah, they um, it's, a, it's a, a slightly coarser effect than the RSU, I suppose. Mm. Um, and they clip quite nicely yeah. too. Having said that, we do have use, and they, uh, but they're just not reliable. Mm. Um, they, they, uh, I did foolishly plant a hedge of them <laughs> in the very early days and uh, lost about 10% of them the first year and 10% of them the second year and third year they were still dying up right out they come yeah <laughs> uh, it's sad when that happens yeah, especially to something that you've gone all in on yep <laughs> yep absolutely no i was looking forward to a you hitch uh but we do have the uh, just individual plants and you do see them around melbourne gardens growing quite well and they all clip beautifully um and our cool borders well we're again we're um using uh a lot of the, uh, well, dare I say, antique perennial plants. Mm. Uh, uh, well, you know, Mike and Matthew growing. are doing amazing things with yeah. their nursery mm. and really putting together a good catalogue of um, the uh, perennials, which are mm. taking the gardens of the world by storm at the moment. The rhododendrons, and you know mm. that they're grown really well. They're yep. hardened yep. off in a in a climate that's similar to where you're putting them. You know. You can't really go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we're using quite a few of those and uh, pulled out one or two of the uh, grasses, which were just becoming a little bit too, uh, moving a little bit too quickly and um, replacing them with, uh, as a geranium, uh, which we're using this year. And we don't have the correct name for it. And I, I might mention it purely because by some miracle someone might, mm. <laughs> but uh, but it's um, it it it's it's a um, um, a ground cover and only getting up to three centimeters high with intensely silver leaves mm-hmm. um, and um, a, a soft purple flower, pinkish purple. Quite long leaves. Yep, yeah, exactly. Three centimeters high. Yeah, yeah very yeah. flat to the ground. So yeah. it's growing right at the front of the borders, and the idea is it spreads out over the path. And, quite dainty. Yeah. <laughs> now, we did have it years ago, and uh, the lyrebirds loved it because it forms quite a dense mat, and they walk along and pick the uh, <laughs> oh. leaves up and grab all the beasties hiding underneath and then not quite put the leaves back again, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, that upset these plants and we gradually lost them all, courtesy of the oh. lyrebirds. Um, and anyway, I managed to rescue one, which uh, Mike from Antique uh, 
we, we dug up one plant which is uh, with a, half a dozen roots at one end, a, a stem running for about half a metre and about three leaves on the end of the stem and he turned it into 56-inch pots within six months. Oh, yeah, he's so good because he's, he's great like that because he said if you ever want to bring any plants, he will propagate yeah, them for you. Yeah, uh, well, well he's wonderful. now the problem is we don't know what to call it because it was given to me many years ago by someone who instantly forgot where they got it from <laughs> and what to call it. And so at the moment it has Cloud Hill on it, but it's not the correct name. Not quite the right yep. provenance. Yep. <laughs> so um, anyway, it's, uh, it'll change the look of our um, cool borders. So both, so we're having a bit of fun with them at the moment. Things are getting up and they're maturing and... Um, <laughs> Um, in the beach hedge uh, beside the warm borders, we've been uh, we're halfway through renovating that, so we're taking it back very hard on one side, and next um, winter we take it back on the uh, remaining side how and often, pull it right back. Sorry, how often do you prune the beach hedge? Well, I, I we 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 have a lot of clipping. Uh, we're using, I, I, I guess, 30, 40 different plants. Mm. And I loathe plants that need clipping every six weeks. Mm. Um, so beech, uh, one main clipping a year, um, early summer. Yep. Uh, a tidy up clip in the autumn. Mm. And uh, likewise, most of our plants really. And the tidy up clip happens very, very quickly. Uh, so really one main clipping a year. Um, but you, you do need renovate occasionally because you just have to let these things grow a tiny bit. But it's good that you can renovate them really hard. Mm. There's a lot yeah. of hedges yep. you can't prune yeah. back into Ab- the old wood. Do not plant a hedge. You cannot plant. Uh, you cannot cut into the mm. old wood. Um, it's the it's, old cupressus that are in most of the yeah. Surrey yeah. Hills and, gardens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, the the old macrocarpas that mm. just get bigger and bigger and bigger look mm. very dramatic, but eventually there's nothing but a macrocarpa hedge and no garden left. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and they're coming – there's one um, – I've walked around near where one of my friends lives in Kew and it's growing, whatever this is, 50 centimetres over the path. Mm. And so you have to walk around onto the <laughs> nature strip now because the, the hedge – Taken just, over. It would yeah. be a 100-year-old hedge. Oh. Yeah. But it just keeps growing because you can't <laughs> prune them back really hard. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big problem, and the, and the other problem, as I said earlier, is is hedges that need constant clipping. Mm. The neighbour be gone hedges, dare I say, which yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, you know we've been running the nursery for years and sold lots of hedges, and I, I just took myself horse trying to convince people to plant slow growing plants for mm. their hedge. Yeah. Do not plant fast growing plants. Yeah, it's a good it's a good piece of advice. Uh, before we move on, I'll just mention, because we did talk about antique perennials, and so for listeners that are maybe new to the show or haven't, aren't familiar with them, they're at uh, 3,153 Hillsville King Lake Road in King Lake, mm. and they're, you know, now's a great time to go visit them. When yep. are, have they got their opening hours I think Emma, they're just weekends. Yeah, I thought um, I didn't think it was during the week. Yeah, mm. open well, at the moment. They're open Sundays to Thursdays, mm. so they are open during the week, um, ten a.m. till three thirty p.m. So not mm. really conventional hours, but 
I'm sure people could find a time to go visit them. Those hours make perfect sense to me. If you're, if you're running a nursery, <laughs> oh, yeah. you want to take Friday off. Yeah. It's exhausting running a nursery. Yeah, yeah. collapse at the end of the week. <laughs> yeah, take it off. And, and Saturday, uh, yes, you go yeah. off and do your shopping and then Sunday where you go again. So it makes yeah. perfect sense to me. <laughs> oh, I think it's very, very rational. Well, we've got some more callers. So we've got an announcement from Graham. So... Hello, Graham. We might have lost Graham. Oh, hello. I can hear. Oh, I can hear something. something. I heard something. Hello, Graham. Yeah, if you're there, Graham, I'm going to hang up and please call back. Mm -hmm. But we do have another call from Marion in Northcote. Hello, Marion. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, is this Graham? Yes. Oh, Graham. Sorry, you were on line one. We've got okay. things a bit mixed up. Sorry about that, Graham. How are That's you going? Okay. Um, I'm calling. Oh, sorry, you've Nicola. fallen out. It's an echo. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. We'll be patient, don't worry. Joys of technology. Mm. Okay, speakers off. Speakers off. Well done. Good morning. It's Graham from Silky's Rose Farm at Clonbanane. Hey, Graham. How hey. are you? Yeah, good to good, hear thanks. from you. I'm calling regarding uh, an open gardens at Clonbanane next Saturday <clears throat> between nine and four. Mm-hmm. And the gardens at Clonbanane, um, there's five of them within a five-kilometre uh, radius, radius of the Clonbanane Hall. And all proceeds from the um, open garden of Clonmanane go to the CFA, who did a marvellous job during the um, really bad bushfires that came through here. Oh, wonderful. So, um, uh, so if people want to get to Clonmanane, they just come straight up the Hume Freeway. Mm-hmm. Is there a website you, with information at all about these gardens? Yes, there's a website. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, to get to Clonbanane, you'll see the Clonbanane signs on the actual freeway sure. as you go up to Clonbanane, and Clonbanane's in between Wallen and Broadford. Yes. Wonderful. And so um, that's next Saturday, the 3rd, and it's between 9 and 4. And uh, there's some interesting gardens in that area. There's five of them. And it costs um, $20 per adult and children under the age of 18 are free. Perfect. Lovely. That'd oh, be that really good. That sounds really day. good. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you for calling in and letting us know. Right. Um, and if they want to want a book, um, try booking dot com. Try booking dot com and look up uh, Clombenane Open Gardens in yeah. Try Booking. Yep. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you, Graham. Right. Thank you for Graham. that. Have a lovely Sunday. Good on you. Bye. Keep up the good work with your garden show. <laughs> Thanks so much. Okay. We appreciate you Bye. listening. Bye. Bye. Gosh, it's really good to see that the open gardens, um, both the open garden scheme and, and community events like yeah. th- this one are getting going again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so important and uh, and and it, it makes perfect sense too. They're you know, popping around to several gardens in a, all within a few minutes from mm-hmm. each other. It's yeah. just a ideal way to spend a day. Uh, yeah. Yay Town did it this time last year as mm-hmm. a fundraiser for the CFA and uh, 
somewhere else in town and they had about five or six gardens open yeah and you know you just buy your ticket for all of them and make your way oh it was fantastic and it's a really good way of supporting smaller towns as well mm. yeah. yeah it's really good mount macedon does similar things and um garden design fest was on recently mm. in the regional areas and i'm sure well i know a lot of people went along to that so it's good to see and nice to see people getting further afield than just melbourne mm-hmm. mm. it's nice getting further afield yeah, than it, just it, is. it is i say it like you know we we were doing it staying away intentionally <laughs> yeah. no that was not intentional no but we do have another caller. We've got Marion on line one, and this time I think she really will be on line one. <laughs> Hello. Oh, <laughs> she is not on line one. All right. Sorry about that, folks. Um, I will try and figure out what the go is. Marion, call back. I oh, think we yeah. might have lost you. Yeah, sorry about that, Marion. Could I do a plug for um, – I? On Latrobe Wildlife Indigenous Nursery have a massive sale on today. They do. Yes, and I thought I would just share that to everyone. Um, they're doing half-price tubes. So everything's $2 spring sale. Um, I think they're open from 10 till 3 or something like that. Might have to double-check that. But, um, yeah, it's a good time if you do want to get some nice little plants, um, mm. some Indigenous stuff. You know, when we're talking about Wallenbergias and chocolate lilies and all those sort of things, they have all that. And the staff are really lovely and knowledgeable, so if there's anything you need to ask, ask away and see if you can fill up your garden with some fun stuff. And are they where are they located? So, yeah, it's a little bit inconspicuous. So it's... Mm. It's in the wildlife sanctuary. So yeah. if you type in Latrobe Nangak. Nangak, Nangak, yep. yeah. Um, um, Tambourine. Tambourine, yeah. And I think when I type it in Google, though, if you type in Latrobe University Wildlife Sanctuary, yeah. you will find it. Yeah. And there's a little car park there. And you can double up because there is a little walk that you can do through there as well, um, little wetlands and, and mm. things like that. So it might be a nice day. It's, yeah. at the, it's on the Latrobe University campus site and the yep. northern end. I think you get to it from Plenty Road. Yes, you do. Yeah. yeah. There's actually two, but Plenty Road's the mm. easiest way. Yeah. 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 So in Bundura. Yes. Nice and close. Yeah. Yeah. They grow a huge range of plants that are indigenous to their area and a little bit wide. So the northern, yeah. the northern end of Melbourne. Definitely. So obviously... Indigenous me- means that they'll get their seed local to that area. You can still, like if you are from, say, like Malvern or somewhere and you want some wild They're not going to kick you out. <laughs> They're not going to kick you out. You can still put it in and, you know, you can have a few plant species and see how they go. It's still yeah. fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it's better than nothing in a way. But, yeah, yeah definitely pop, don- pop on mm, down. Marvellous plug. Yep. Thanks, Anne. Okay. All right, we're going to third time's the charm. Let's see if we can <laughs> talk to Mary. <laughs> Hello, Hello. Marion. Hello, hi. Good to speak with you. How are you going? Oh, really great. Thank you so much for that um, discussion about Yangek Tambourine. Mm. Can you believe that's my workplace? Oh, oh, oh good. Plus, right, Such good time. This is why we couldn't get you on the air until we until we. <laughs> yeah, we did that deliberately. So no, can, not um, deliberately. Yeah, yeah, so I can have a wander there, you know, in amongst my work and see the friendly faces and, yeah, they're just really great. Yeah. I'm also grateful for um, your conversation about home growing of Indigenous plants and mm. even the plants that I'm really interested in, which is getting a um, an understory going. Mm. 
I had some great advice from the garden show and everything's looking brilliant. Well, it's been the season, right? It's not my gardening. Oh, but, no. Um, now, don't, down, don't no. downplay your work. Yeah. <laughs> don't doubt myself. Yes. But, yeah, I got a lot of advice on the mulch. So I've created some light lower down and now I want to just keep uh, – maybe I've got the colonist urge, but I want to keep um, spreading this um, uh, understory up under a big tree and that tree is um it was planted before me it's the giant grevillea grevillea uh, robusta, robusta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. with a beautiful golden flower mm. so here's what i'm asking you how can i maximize my um probability of my understory going well and what i'm going to put in i've got wallenbergias and I've got a few chrysocephalums and I can still, of course, I can buy more. I can go to Latrobe <laughs> and I've got some um, Pelagonium uh, Australi. Mm-hmm. Uh, would I, so I have access to, does it make any sense to put in, say, build the soil up so I'm clear of the roots and then put these shallow rooted things in? Or what can I, what can I do to maximise my chances under this tree? Mm. Mm. Um. I find, like, with Grevillea Robusta, as time goes on, you will probably lose that understory unless you start, like, then it'll be a different succession planting where you might be looking at things like the Veronica or um, Corias and things like that. Um, In the meantime, it would be building up the soil, making it so it's a sandy loam mix um, and then having it so that when you've got a nice aspect of that sun coming through, you get that nice understory planting. How old is the Robusta at the moment? Oh, it's really, it's before I got here. So oh. it's, you know, it's like 12 metres high. It's oh, gorgeous. It's, oh, you can see it from all around. Oh, well, yeah. If and I wouldn't have put it in. <laughs> yeah, well, if you've yeah. got, if, if you're already seeing what sort of sunlight is hitting the bottom and then you've checked your soil and working your soil in, you'd be quite surprised that you'd be able to incorporate lilies plants. What's the soil like? Is it compacted around the base of the tree yeah. or is it a little, or are you able to sort of dig a tube stock sized hole into it relatively easily. Mm. Yes, I can dig into it relatively easily. And I'm just wondering, is there any advantage in actually putting some sand up there? No, the you don't want to cover to any of the trunk, but you yeah. you don't want to do anything like that, but you want to work you want to make sure that the the, the soil itself is is far, like it, it, you can dig into it quite easily. Like the root yeah. systems of like all of these smaller species like it that they can sort of get their roots and move through quite mm. easily. But when you've got the restriction sure. of these massive roots yeah. um, and, and the soil becomes quite hard and dense, mm. it, it completely sort of changes it, which is why you would go for other plant species. Like when okay. we we're saying the Veronica and Corries, you can plant them sort of not around the root, so to speak, but yeah. around there because they tend to do okay. And then further out, then you can plant those other species. Is the, oh, is yeah. the tree... Uh, mulched underneath. Mm. Yeah, it's naturally mulched. Naturally yeah. mulched. <laughs> yeah. Well, it tends yeah. to rake up a lot of that mm. before. Yep. Yeah, you could right. rake up the robusta foliage mm. and then yeah. put in a decent layer of arborist bush mulch underneath yep. and let that break down and then plant it out sort of later in autumn mm. or mid-autumn. Okay. And the mulch will have started to break down. If you get something that's not super chunky... Yep. The mulch will have started to break down and will, it will have added some organic matter and mm. a bit of humus to Fantastic. your topsoil, which might make it easier for your plants to yeah. establish and a bit easier to dig in. I'd probably say that 
when you think about those other species, they they sort of they grow in a, a grassland type of sense. And yep. so the actual environmental condition you have is a bit different to how these other species would grow. So it might be mm, worth sure. thinking about bringing in plants that would suit an environment where you would have a tree cover. And that's sure. where you do go for things, you know, that would be more bushy and, and so to speak, and yeah. then find a, a grassland situation somewhere else on your property. One of the yep. biggest things is try not to, yeah, impose a, a condition that probably wouldn't work there you it would work for so mm. long maybe you know mm. for like a year maybe if um but you're better off trying to to work in with your surrounding environment and you know you you can, you go to latrobe so you'll be able to ask them for a few different advice on different plants but i would probably recommend that more yeah, so it's a great idea yeah yeah fantastic yeah. so i'll go for something that's yeah a bit more uh you know long-lived taller and not go for the grassland thing yeah right up under the tree the, yeah Brilliant. so like, like like the corriers or the smaller grevilleas yeah smaller yeah. grevilleas and i did around. say like the veronica like what we we're talking about today veronicas do quite well under trees mm, um great. yeah they, do they actually. yeah mm. they actually do quite well um what else can you go for? Um, my brain's kind of in this little mess at the banks till Sunday work? waking up. Um, yeah, maybe a couple of this, like Banksia um, marginata might yeah, be all right. Oh, yeah, Banksias. Um, you could probably go for Pelagonians and things like that and because I find some of them do quite okay. Illyria, Lorata. Yeah, Illyrias. Pymelia. I wouldn't go Banksia blechnifolia. I find that really likes more. It likes a sand. Open, yeah, open, open, open well drained, yeah. sandy. Yeah. And lots of sun as well, not a yeah. lot of shade. You yeah. could like you could sneak in some things like I I'm quite surprised with Isotoma axillaris. It's like yeah. it's mm. usually like I would keep it in an open area, but it tends to be like something that could sort of grow and then it seeds so prolifically that you, it kind of changes its conditions. So if you want a bit more of a flowering type, you can put that through it as well. I am nuts about the isotope. I had one <laughs> yeah. like a raised up in a pot and it just made me so happy. It, yeah. That blue. Oh, man. I don't Thank think so it's much. given enough um, – love and, and just the spotlight because it is a fantastic plant and but it can be like put in a pot you mm. have it everywhere <laughs> but it's very pretty yeah it is, it's beautiful mm. yeah yeah so okay. it could be playing with that as well but yeah fantastic yeah. all right i've got a page of notes <laughs> off i go thank you off so you go. much for your help <laughs> thank you, wonderful thanks marion have a nice Brilliant. sunday you too bye bye I'm just wondering a little bit about the longevity of the um, Revilia robusta. Um, what is the life expectancy? It's Do you... quite long. Yeah. It's yeah. like one uh, okay. no, over and, and, 100. Depending yeah. on where they are, sometimes they can get really ugly and messy when they yeah. get older. Like they I, really in in they Perth, really I know that they have a short uh, lifespan. Mm. Yeah, about 25, 30 years. Really? In yep. Perth? Yeah. Yep. Oh. yeah they, they regularly... They, they, they take the heat? Yeah, yeah I reckon yeah, it's it's it could be the heat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because they are from northern New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. yeah in Queensland, yeah, that, yeah. that area, yeah. So I had the plug that it's a good indoor plant, so I planted in. I mean, I've got a pot inside, and it is a really good indoor plant. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes really nice. I get clients that really want to put a big tree inside, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't oh. grow. It just it will just grow mm. like very very slowly. Yeah. Keeps really lovely foliage. I was surprised. Well, yeah. I love ficus longifolia for an indoor mm, tree as yeah, well. Same. I just think they're gorgeous. Yeah, everyone goes for. Um, the fiddle leaf fig. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just think, no, nah, <laughs> no, nah, that's not where it's at. Yeah. Ficus longifolia. Yep. They've got their 
long, long, long leaves drop. They're the ones that droop down. Yeah, they yeah. almost they look almost like a um, like a eucalypt. Mm. Mm. Very nice, but just uh, darker green leaf. Lovely. Yeah, I and bought an Agathis robusta from Stephen got, Ryan I was about to recently. Say the same one. Yeah, with the intention to it's still outside at the moment, but with the intention to pot it up and have it inside mm. because apparently, yeah, again, yeah. they're a little bit more of that tropically sort of plant. And I'll just I just plan to mist with my other indoor plants i just mist them down quite mm. often and i'll do that with the agathas too they do really well i've got two at home cool and yeah the only thing was it got um it got scale really oh, badly dang yeah i had to clean it all off but it's been was yeah it in a spot where it wasn't getting so much airflow um yeah i mean my i feel like i mean they're usually put in a corner it is in a corner. I had other plants there. I don't know where it might have come off some of the ferns. I had to scale my ferns. Oh, my God, I just had an outbreak. <laughs> it was an outbreak. Yes. And then you feel so bad because you're like, I'm a plant person. I can't have this outbreak, but you do. Scale anyway. such a scale. bother anywhere, but especially when it gets to your indoor, indoor plants. plants. Mm-hmm. And it's on my chefflers. It's oh, on. No. It's just I've been cleaning. But and it's fun to squash. It is, but at the same time I feel sick because I'm like, oh. Like I kind of like, yeah, yeah, squash it. And then I'm like, ooh, scale mm. juice on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's frustrating and I just. Because they get, they tend to get in the very, like, deep crevices of the leaf. Like once you, you know, where the leaf is originating from. Yeah. And then it's very difficult to to set them back, really. Anyway. But a very good plant. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah. 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 It's been fun. Well, I brought in another indoor plant (gasps) called Sissus alata. Um, And I love this plant. It's... um, it's colloquially known as the grape ivy, so um, maybe that will help listeners imagine what it looks like. It's kind of a little bit like Boston ivy. It's got three lobes and just gorgeous, um, gorgeous shape. And the new foliage is often this, this shiny bright green with a silver kind of glaucous. Mm, it's really lovely. I find it to be a really easy indoor plant to grow. Is it? Because I don't have much time for my indoor plants, so Mm. I like ease. It's a very elegant form. Mm. Like, yeah, it's really pretty. And you could put it in in a hanging basket if you've got hanging pots inside. I just keep mine in a a terracotta pot, but... How long... Oh, sorry, how long have you had this one for? This one's about a year old okay. and it's it's only about 15 centimetres mm. by 15 centimetres, so it's quite small. It's quite slow growing. How high will they grow? Mm. They don't get very tall. I'd say maybe 300 mil at the most. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. And if you were to plant it outside in a very sheltered position, it would sort of get to that height and then need something to climb if you really wanted it to get mm. higher. Otherwise, it will just fall over itself and be more of like a ground cover, a bit like... Um, so, so it does behave like an ivy, does it? Yeah, but yeah. It's, not, it's not invasive because yep. it's, it's, it won't put up with the cold here. You know, that's, mm. why, that's mm. why you keep it inside. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, it, and it will... If you've got it outdoors, it will behave deciduously. But mm. indoors, it, it keeps its leaves, it's evergreen. which That's is nice. That's cute. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, very pretty. Oh, one now. <laughs> Add to the collection. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always surprised that we can still water all our plants. Like, I'm I the know. same. I kind of, like, leave them and they have to survive for a bit. 
But we haven't, like, we're pretty good. We're pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, uh, traditionally, at the Cloud Hill, when the Woolwich family uh, running their business, uh, they would water for two years and then not. <laughs> and anything that died, well, it was not meant to be there. Mm. So that was, uh, they've been doing that for the best part of 100 years. So not a bad policy. Yeah, it's quite a good strategy, really. Do you have indoor plants, Jeremy? Um, my wife has the indoor plant <laughs> collection, and she does have uh, your your pretend ivy. Uh, and uh, and I was just uh, and so far it's got about th- it's growing by the kitchen sink with about three or four leaves, so it's mm. even smaller than yours. Mm. So that, that's why I was wondering how big it's going to grow. Yeah, they are slow growing, and they're very. I would say if you're thinking what style are they like. Like the indoor plants were very popular in the 70s. This became popular in the 80s. Ah. This is like an 80s indoor plant. Okay. Oh, crikey. And what, what, <laughs> where are we up to with indoor plants? I don't know like whether they're in or out of fashion. I, I keep mine just because I'm into plants in general. Um, they never go out of fashion for me. But, mm. um, but it depends on what line's coming out. I know that Beaumont's line that mm. tends to sell at Bunnings tends to bring out something and then everyone's like... Yeah. That's the new hot item. Well, there's a lot of things coming from more from – I know there was something called a Thai constellation. So mm. there are things coming from Asia that are very interesting being brought into the country. So it's interesting to see them, how how they will prosper or whether they're deliberately purchasing plants that, you know, people want to buy a second one because they didn't work out, you know. They're so expensive. It yeah. is interesting. You could do a whole um, – Episode on the uh, plants going in and out of fashion, and yeah. uh, I've, I've had an interest in ornamental grasses since the seventies, and uh, somehow that includes strappy leafed plants. But mm. at the moment, the the uh, landscape trade is so dominated by strappy leaf plants. I, mm. I just look around and shake my head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fair enough. Um, and I think. You know, trends are wonderful, but when you find something that works consistently in your landscape, just stick with it yeah. and, yep. um, yeah, punctuate it with the little the gems that come now. Yeah, so I, I, and that's... you're absolutely right. And, and, and if you're working on a garden for long enough, uh, one of my images is of a uh, conifer. Now, they, those were in fashion, what, 30 years ago? Yeah. And they fell out of fashion uh, very uh, big uh, nursery not far from us it used to be a conifer nursery and now it says just a nursery <laughs> still a big nursery they still do conifers but they don't call themselves conifer nursery anymore oh, um, but uh, it planted it but I bought a uh, uh, yeah, what was it? A uh, Thuya occidentalist holmstrop mm. from this particular nursery about 30 years ago and this arrives with a label saying at uh, 10 years and it's 50, 60 centimetres high. Oh, wow. And ours is now about four or five metres high. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I planted a, a viburnum uh, placata molly schroeder next to it. Gosh, um, they're beautiful. Oh, those things. Uh, this is one of the loveliest of the viburnums and mm. a very long flowering. It's flowering spectacularly right now. Yeah, some people call it the wedding cake. Yes. Mm, you know, some yeah. people say shrub, some people say tree. And and viburnum placatum, I think it's a hybrid of placatum because mm. it flowers later than all the other placatums. Yeah. Is yours and with a biscuity pink, pink flower. Yeah. And, uh, and just and sends out layers of these 
very intricate, uh, very um, pattern flowers, I suppose. Mm. Um, and uh, and this is up around about two metres high now, but goes out in, in horizontal layers. Mm. And the two are growing hard against each other and growing not, not quite into each other, but one supporting the other. And um, quite a nice contrast. They are stunningly yeah. a, a, a stunning combination. That's and kind of a limey green. And, and of course, the effect is not in the slightest what I intended um <laughs> ten years ago. But that that's what happens. Some things disappear. Other things do extremely well. And yeah. you just got to work with. Just take notice all the time of the plants mm. that are performing and mm. figure out how to. Uh, Accentuate uh, whatever they're doing. Yeah. yeah, and the viburnum placatum that gets quite large, like three by this, three. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah, most of them go out large. horizontally. This yeah. one's gone up vertically, but still with the horizontal, the tabulating habit. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, and it's right next to steps, so it kind of we we um, it, it's just it just squeezes into its spot very nicely. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, so. Cloud Hill, I imagine, is starting to really come into its prime yeah, at the it's, moment. It's absolutely starting to hit its straps. The rhododendrons are almost finished, which yeah. I'm always a little bit pleased about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although we do have a, a, a patch of ponticum in the path leading into the restaurant, and uh, which is a notorious weed, but we've got the double form, Ooh. which is uh, infertile. A special weed. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's an infertile weed, so, yeah. so it just... And and the double flowers quite often last a little bit longer than single flowers. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, um, and what colour is that? Is uh, that? Well, ponicum. It's a soft. Uh, no, like it's a purple blue? with a little bit of um, um, tiny bit of yellow orange in yeah, the centre of the flower. Yeah. Uh, notoriously, it's taken over whole sections of Wales and Scotland and Cornwall, and mm-hmm. uh, but um, not the double form. It's it's extremely rare. Mm. Mm. Nice but um, yeah, but the borders the the uh, 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 are still filling in. I'm not quite flowering yet, but a little bit of colour. Mm. And the shrub borders, um, the last of the Spinosissima roses flowering. Um, by golly, those things are good. Yeah. And and I, um, I'm not too sure where they're available at the moment. Uh, there's about twelve, twelve, fourteen of them. Um, Tiny leaves. They they have quite a long flowering period, but one single season. Uh, we we have two or three uh, flowering in pinks and creamy yellows. Tiny flowers, but the flowers are followed by hips and quite often black hips, mm. uh, which are quite ornamental because the, the the whole shrub forms a ferny mass of um, uh, leaves, which tend to have a bit of colour in their own right. So, uh, for instance, we have a, a, a couple flowering, a, a couple with um, glaucous leaves, mm, so they're quite a bit of blue in the foliage. And they have quite good autumn colour, except it comes in winter. They, mm. they turn purple and scarlet in, in, in uh, June, isn't it? July. Yeah, to have which some is, late colour. Yeah, that's so, the, so the, this, they take up a bit of space, but <laughs> by <laughs> golly, they pay their rent. Worthwhile, <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> so, no, no, we're enjoying the season. It's yeah. a bit floppy, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's really a good yeah. word for it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's just like trying really hard and then back to cold. But yeah. I'm going to use that floppy. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> 
before we're finishing up, I'll just plug one last event. Mm. Um, Encouraging Women in Horticulture are having their final event for the year. Um, it's going to be a dinner with a with a uh, presentation by Lisa Ellis. So uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, Lisa Ellis has her design firm. Uh, she does wonderful residential work. Um, so that event is taking place on Wednesday, the 30th of November. Um, EWHA members are $60 and non-members are $70. That includes your meal. And you can find all further information at www.ewha.com.au. Um, but, yeah, final final words from you lovely people. Oh. What's, what's going on in your garden, Em? Um, lots, I guess. Mm-hmm. We bought a house or just been playing there and that's where I just I think for all of us it's about discovering what works Mm. and you know when you are designing for other people as well trialing all those selections Mm. trialing colors trialing you know what goes well together I mean it's honestly hard not to make your own garden work to like it all just it all just mushes in together yep. because you end up trialing things for work. And yes, like, but that's that's the passion of it too. That is the passion, and you want to make sure. I've said it before. Like you want to make sure that you know your clients' gardens are beautiful. Yeah. So that's why you you do it for yourself as well for that um, for the knowledge. Mm. But you want to see it working, and you want to see how it performs. You want to see what happens, and then I guess the other thing is then you put it in theirs, which is a different location. And there's a completely different way that it responds there or what gets drawn in. So, mm. yeah, um, I've just been having a lot of fun. I am looking very forward to a three-week break over Christmas because it means three weeks of just being able to do everything there rather yeah. than being broken up only onto like a couple of days or like one day of the weekend. Mm. You'd be so busy, Jeremy, like you just would never stop either. You'd just be like, <laughs> I just no. garden, garden, garden every bloody day. Yeah, yeah. So, well, we just had two weeks off and uh, that's – Yes, it's back into back into gardening. Seriously, <laughs> it's going to be a lovely summer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lovely note to finish on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really looking forward to a wonderful summer ahead. Yeah. So I'll say thank you to our producers for today. We've got Michaela Hamilton and Diane in the, in the phone room. They've done a wonderful job. Thanks to Liz for doing our socials. And thanks to Chloe Foster, Emmeline Bowman and Jeremy Francis for sharing your gardening expertise with us. Thank you for having um, us. And, of course, thank you to our listeners for tuning into the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Emma Hurd, and it's been lovely talking talking gardening with you all. Cheerio. Thank you. Hooray.